Thank you for joining our podcast here at Peninsula Covenant Church. Stay tuned as together we'll study God's Word. Well, good morning, PCC. So good to be with you and so grateful that we can have this time together. I want to introduce my friend, Summer Levinson. Hi. Yeah, she's no stranger to us. She's one of our favorite hosts here on Sunday mornings. And Summer, people see you on Sundays and people who know you um, just think, wow, and you are an amazing woman, but you also are in the process of being healed as you're experiencing the healing of others. Tell us about that. Yeah. So I'm um, currently going through therapy, which is so fun, like dealing with 20 years of suppressed trauma is just like a great time. You should try it. It's great. (laughs) Um, No, it's actually really hard. Um, And I'm finding a lot of like growth and beauty in it. But um, I've honestly been really thankful for this community because it's actually through uh, Stephen Ministry that I was able to find like an incredible therapist um, that has been able to help me heal. But um, so much more than that, I I have this picture where I actually feel like Jesus is kind of taking me by the hand and and walking me through these like hardships that I've suppressed for so long. Well, first of all, thank you for just putting it out there. I love that about you. You're you have nothing to hide, and that's part of the work of Jesus in you, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so knowing your story a little bit, and we don't have time really to get into it. But um, it's very real. And based on some things in your upbringing, things that happened to you, there's shame in that. Uh, And we're going to talk about that today in our passage. But how is Jesus meeting you in that shame and bringing healing? What do you do with the shame? What are you doing with the shame? Yeah, Uh, doing. Yes. (laughs) Um, So it's. Shame has been a constant companion in my life. Um, it didn't, and, and I just want to say, how many yeah. of us can relate to that, right? We, it motivates us more than we realize. Yeah. It's, it's like, like a good neighbor, shame is right there. there. Like wow. that has been my life. Wow. And um, I feel like it wasn't long as a child to kind of realize that, oh, there wasn't many kids at my classroom that also had a caseworker or had a stepdad that we had to run away from in the middle of the night. Or um, my favorite line is, uh, I have, there's six kids in my family and only two of us share a dad. Like, that's not very common. All of our last names are different. And so it wasn't long for me to kind of recognize how I was different um, from everybody else and not in a good way. And that's Uh, what causes shame. It's Yes, it's very much a cause of shame. But then also there were these survival techniques and bad habits that came out of that and even though I understand where they came from, and in a lot of ways they did help me survive certain situations, um, it doesn't water down the fact that they're really hurtful today. Like, for example, when um, someone hurts me and I feel any sort of rejection, I just cut them out of my life. And it's cold. And it's and it's hard. It's a clean break and I'm done. There's no grace. There's no empathy. I'm just done. I'm over the relationship. Um, I have this amazing husband, a, a trophy husband is what you <laughs> called him earlier. And That was me. I yeah. called him the trophy husband. Yeah. He's going to hate. I Shout said out that. to you, Josh. Yeah. yeah. But he's, he's a wonderful man and he would never hurt 
anybody, but anytime I hear him get firm or serious with the kids, I go into this, this blind rage and I, and I feel the need to protect my children. And I love telling people that because they're like, you have rage. You seem so happy and go lucky, but, yep. but no, it's like serious rage. Like I've broken phones. I've broken doors. I can't even repeat the things that I've said because this audience is not an audience over 18. Like right. it's, it's serious. Like the harm is real and it's heavy. Um, I can make jokes about it, which is another issue because I won't sit in the heaviness of it. It's, it's hard to sit there. Um, and if I'm honest, it's, it's gross and it's ugly and it's, I can come up here and kind of smile about it, but it's, it's really a heavy, nasty, sad thing. And, um, okay. So let me, let me just jump in here. So, uh, first of all, thank you again for being authentic. Uh, you have this gross, nasty thing and we can all relate, right? Mm -hmm. There's parts of that. That's the human condition. Sin has just wreaked havoc. Uh, where's Jesus meeting you? in that and how do you know you're loved even still in that grossness yeah i i love that because um i think it's something that i have to remind myself pretty constantly it's a consistent thing i have to remind myself but i think that you know the people that you're so happy go lucky you don't you don't seem like someone who'd be ragey like but jesus sees that he sees me in the fullness of my heart and the things that I can conceal to other people, even myself sometimes, but he sees it in its fullness. He sees it, the past in its fullness. He sees my heart in the fullness, ugliest place. And yet somehow I'm still seen as worthy, but also worthy of forgiveness. Okay. Hold that. Yeah. Cause uh, I love what we're doing here. Most of us see summer uh, through the screen as the host up front, whether in the gym or here in the sanctuary and happy go lucky summer. And, and we think that's the summer Jesus loves. Now you've come to us and said, actually, this is summer. I'm a work in process and all this grossness. The truth is who you are, not on the screen or on this platform, who we are, not on this platform, who we are. That's the Jesus. I'm sorry. That's the summer Jesus loves, yeah. not the summer you think you should be. Right. Okay. How it, talk a little bit more about that. Well, it's, yeah, it's just this, like, um, you know, even when we're dating, right. It's like, there's this, there's this part that we just kind of conceal and tuck away. Um, but it's still very much there. And especially with things like triggers, it comes out before you even can recognize what's happening often, at least for me. Yeah. And so, yeah. So Jesus sees that and he knows even the thoughts that I can control that I want. You know, I have so many great revenge stories for like people I'm angry at. Like I don't, well, I told you now, but most (laughs) of the times I don't talk to people about those sort of things, but Jesus not only sees it in its fullness and embraces me like who I am in the, in the nastiest rut that I've ever been. He sees it. He picks me up. He forgives me. He loves me. But not only that, there's also this fuel for change that I find really beautiful is that um, it's like he walks me through these things and he says, but also we can do it a little different. Mm-hmm. We, we can actually forgive that person because I forgave you. And so it's this radical change that happens that 
um, I don't think I would have, well, I don't, I know, I would not have the strength to do on my own. It's just because of the life that he's lived that I've gotten to experience um, that I've been able to make those changes. It's, you know, going to therapy, learning to forgive, um, dealing with suppressed things that I've tucked away for so long. Um, but God's with me. It's, it's like even when I walk through the valley of the shadow of my past and my present, I know that he's there walking with me and that gives me fuel for change. Okay, so hold on to that line because that will become relevant in about 20 minutes. Uh, could you pray for us in this next time in the Word and in praying, pray for those who are just trapped in shame, who know they're forgiven, but are paralyzed and tethered to a past of shame and don't know how to get beyond it. Can you pray for us? Yeah, I love okay. that. Father God, I just want to acknowledge the deep and overwhelming love that you tell us and have shown us that you have for us. God, I know that when shame comes, there's often this heaviness of guilt that is paralyzing and it's really easy to not believe you and to believe that there's a cap to that love and to that forgiveness. Father God, I just pray anyone that's here watching this, I pray that they will know that the cap doesn't exist with you, that there is constant, unconditional forgiveness, that there is constant, unconditional love, but that there is also this component of strength that is given through you, that even bad habits, triggers, trauma, all these things can be seen by you, and there can be forward motion through you, Jesus. That doesn't mean that we might be healed here, um, but you do have a plan for us beyond even this earth that we're on right now. And I just thank you for that. And I pray that that will sit on the hearts of everyone listening, Father. In your name, I pray. Amen. So before you get off the stage, I just want to thank you and honor you. You are literally one of the most free people. I know as you're in process of being healed. So you're a gift to our community. I say all the time, the most valuable asset of PCC is you, is you. Thank you so much for sharing that. Well, thanks so much for having me. Right on. Hey, open your Bibles. I don't even know how to move out of that because that was so rich. Um, but in our remaining time, I'd like you to open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 8. And we're just going to take three verses. Uh, we're talking about being brand new. And in the last five weeks, we're talking about how in Christ, he wants to create newness in us. Uh, not newness in time. I've got five daughters and one's 29, my oldest, my youngest is 12. Uh, each newborn is new in time. They share the same DNA, but they're older or younger. That's not what it's talking about here. It's talking about new in kind, a disruptive new. In other words, Jesus showed up to declare there is a new type of living, a new humanity that is available to every person. And he modeled it. And I want you to hear this, PCC. What we see in Jesus is what Jesus gave his life to see in you. I want to repeat that. What we see in Jesus is what Jesus gave his life to to be seen in us. He was the most human, human, the perfect human who ever lived because he never sinned. 
And he wants that quality of life to be seen in us. So for the last two weeks, we've been in Matthew 8, and uh, in the context, Matthew 5 to 7, Jesus talks about this new type of reign called the kingdom of God that's come on the earth, a new type of living under his lordship where we flourish as humans, but it's counterintuitive. And he talks about it, then he comes off the mountain, and in Matthew 8 and 9, Matthew records 10 miracles right after the other to show what this life is like. So it's show and tell. He tells about it in Matthew 5 to 7, what this reign, this new type of life is available, how it's supposed to function, and it's radical. And then in 8 and 9, he shows the restorative work of God. So last week we saw lepers are cleansed and reinstated in humanity. Uh, We didn't look at it, but a a Roman centurion servant is healed. Storms are are calmed. Um, Dead people are raised. Life in the kingdom is a life of restoration. And in today in Matthew 8, 14 to 17, that's where we'll be. Open your Bibles, Matthew 8, 14 to 17. We're going to see people healed, demons cast out, and we're going to focus on shame in verse 17. So let's open to Matthew 8, 14 to 17, and let's just pick it up in verse 14. There's two things I would need to highlight by way of prelude, and then we'll land on verse 17. Here's the first thing I want you to know. Jesus is a bridge builder. Jesus is a bridge builder. Verse 14, when Jesus arrived at Peter's house, Peter's mother-in-law was sick in bed with a high fever. But when Jesus touched her hand, the fever left her. Then she got up and prepared a meal for him. That last statement, then she got up and prepared a meal for him, falls in line with exactly what Scott was saying about people serving. When you've been touched by Jesus, you serve his purposes. When you've been born anew, born afresh, you can't stop declaring and serving because you want everyone to experience what you're doing. Uh, PCC, we long to meet live in this sanctuary. We're planning on it in May, but we're moving in at the rate of volunteers, at the rate of people serving. And that's why we had that time and segment. Please, if you call PCC home, don't be a pew potato. That's part of the old pre-COVID church. Look to serve. So you see this. Jesus is building bridges where the religious people built barriers. His whole life, that was his whole life, building bridges and breaking through barriers the religious system built up. So when Jesus was born, the first people to hear the announcement were the outcast, the shepherds. Uh, when, when Jesus is calling people to be his disciples, he calls people like Peter, who says, get away from me. I am a sinful man. The religious community wouldn't even accept him to be in the rabbinic school. And Jesus says, no, you qualify with me. I'm going to build a bridge where religious people built a barrier. He hung out with lepers. We saw that last week. He touched lepers. He hung out with prostitutes. He calls tax collectors to him. He goes to Samaria when everyone else avoided Samaria. He heals a Roman centurion's servant and literally says, you can read it in Matthew 8, I've never seen faith like this in all of Israel. Jesus is a bridge builder where people built barriers. In this passage, he builds a bridge to women. Jesus did more to emancipate women, probably more than any other historical figure on the planet. And I am not understating that. 
In the first century Roman Empire that Jesus came into, women weren't just treated as second-class citizens. They weren't given the honor of being treated as a citizen as all at all. Women were actually property in the first century Roman Empire. Pre-marriage, they are property of their father. Post-marriage, they are property of their husband. There's actually writings in the rabbinic law that talks about uh, not being able to touch a woman's hand. That will come into relevancy when we look at this passage again. And yet you look at the life of Jesus, and all he did in his whole life was liberate women. First eyewitness to the resurrection. The first Christian, some have called her Mary, because she's testified to the resurrection. A woman. Jesus built his whole testimony of the resurrection around a woman. Uh, Another Mary is able to sit at Jesus' feet in the role and place of a disciple and learner. Jesus validates her. A woman comes in and breaks open an alabaster jar in a male-only dinner. And everyone's talking about her. And Jesus just calls out every man in the misogyny and says, do you see this woman? Do you see this woman? He's building a bridge. Now, where the rabbinic literature said a man was never to touch a woman's hand, look again at verse 14 and 15. Peter's mother-in-law is sick with the fever when Jesus, look what it says in verse 15, touched her what? Hand. Now, I've had five girls. I know about fevers. And whenever my daughters would come up to me when they were young and said, gosh, I'm, I think I'm sick, I would touch their head. But Jesus purposely touches her hand. Why? Because he's building a bridge. And that touch breaks through a barrier and speaks life into her. He's radical here. So I just want to state in this first bridge-building illustration, our, our segment of the passage, in the kingdom of God, what is Jesus demonstrating? In the kingdom of God, women are respected, and in no way are they rejected. In the kingdom of God, touch is healthy. It's never harmful. Most of us would agree with that, but we need to be reminded of that in this day and age, especially when women are objectified when touch for men and women is used in harmful ways. Let's be like Christ here. And let's build bridges. Let's be a counter-cultural community that's so radical that our city says, I don't know if I believe what they believe, but I would love to be in that kind of community. And around here, we say, you don't even need to believe in order to belong. I just want to state, that's why we're doing this Be the Bridge series. That's why we're so passionate about Be the Bridge. For the next seven weeks, we want to equip us to break through a barrier that divides by race. And we want to equip us to build bridges. The whole country is talking about this issue. And we have a choice as a church. We can stay silent or we can be equipped to bring a Christ-centered message and live out a Christ-centered ethic in our community. Friends, I really believe we either do this series or we quit calling ourselves a Peninsula Covenant Church because the world has come to the peninsula and we have to build bridges cross-racially, cross-ethnically, cross-culturally if we're going to be the Peninsula Covenant Church and hold out the hope of Christ. I want to encourage you to get in a group. 
go to our website, search Be The Bridge. We have groups Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday nights. Uh, we have men's groups, women's groups, co-ed groups where we gather together. This will stretch us biblically. Uh, but we know after stretching comes strength. So do it. Second aspect, Jesus is a bridge builder. Then he goes on in verse 16. I want you to see we are a world at war, a world at war. Look at this, verse 16. So that evening, many demon-possessed people were brought to Jesus. He cast the evil spirits out with a simple command, and he healed the sick. Uh, Listen, a simple reading of the Gospels clearly demonstrates that driving what we see and experience are spiritual forces behind that are unseen and powerful. This conviction drove Jesus' life. He regularly spoke about, spoke to, exercised his authority over the demonic realm. I find in, in the West, here in the 21st century, uh, to quote Tim Keller, frankly, we're either superstitious or substitious when it comes to the demonic realm. We're either those people that stub our toe and go, oh, a demon got me. Or we don't give any credibility at all to the demonic. Somewhere in there, the Holy Spirit would have us find the tension to realize behind what is seen and natural are forces unseen and supernatural. But 1 John 4, 4 says, greater is he that's in us than him that's in the world. So like Jesus, part of living in this kingdom, part of human flourishing is having the power and authority over the demonic realm. That is why so much of what we endeavor for the kingdom, so much of what we endeavor trying to be brand new, so much of summer's healing and wholeness, for some of you, so much of why you're stiff-arming Jesus, it's not because of your own nature, it's because of the deceptive spirits that are holding you back. I'll give you an example. Ann and I have a commitment to praying every night together, to ending every night in prayer. And I can't tell you how many times when we go to prayer, in my mind, I think this is stupid. Or I think this makes no difference. We pray for our daughters. We pray for uh, the peninsula. And so much in my mind says, don't do this. Now, where is that coming from? It's not me. They are deceptive spirits that are keeping me from this kingdom reality. I don't care what you're endeavoring to do towards Christ, prayer, scripture reading, your spiritual disciplines, being generous and giving God your first and best and living on the rest, sharing your faith, living Christ-centered lives, gathering and prioritizing worship or fellowship, you will be opposed. But greater is the one that's in you than the one who's in the world. That's why I wanted this song, the hymn, the great hymn that Martin Luther penned almost 600 years ago sung. Let me repeat his line. And though this world with devils filled should threaten to undo us, we will not fear for God hath willed his truth to triumph through us. The prince of darkness grim, we tremble not for him. His rage we can endure, for lo, his doom is sure. One little word shall fell him. What's that word? Jesus. It's living in, abiding in the authority of Jesus that we have uh, the, the promise that greater is he that's in us than the one that's in the world. Friends, fight through the spiritual realm. 
fight through with the authority and the tools that you've been given. In Ephesians 6, it talks about the armor of God. Place it on and fight in the spiritual realm as we pray over this peninsula for the kingdom of light to gain ground, the kingdom of darkness to recede. Fight with the spiritual armor you've been given. Now we get to the heart of the matter, verse 17. So, so what we see here is miracle, miracle, miracle. And all of a sudden, Matthew pulls out and gives commentary. Now, it would be helpful to know at this point, Matthew is a Jewish writer, and he's writing to a Jewish audience. And why that's helpful is because uh, the Jewish audience knew their Old Testament, especially in the first century. And so Matthew refers more to any other gospel writer back to the Old Testament. This is in fulfillment of. This is in fulfillment of. It's why he does it. He even opens his gospel with a rich genealogy to show through the whole Old Testament where Messiah came from. And in this passage, he uses a commentary from Isaiah chapter 53, which has been called the fifth gospel. That one chapter, read it tonight. Isaiah 53, it has the rich gospel packed in the Old Testament. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Isaiah 53, the fifth gospel. He says in Matthew 8, 17, this fulfilled the word of the Lord through the prophet Isaiah, who said, now here's the line we're going to unpack for a few minutes. And this is the line that Summer is basing her whole life of getting shame removed on. He took our sicknesses and removed our diseases. He took our sicknesses and removed our diseases. In other words, Jesus didn't just forgive you on the cross. He cleansed you. You see that word all throughout the New and Old Testament. We saw it last week with the leper. Remember that? Matthew 8, 1. If you're willing, you can make me what? Clean. He didn't say you could remove my leprosy. He said, if you're willing, you can go deeper than that. And at the core, you can make me whole and holy. And it says, Jesus said, I'm so willing. I want to say to you right now, especially as a follower of Christ, because I've learned being forgiven. Oh, how good is that? But there's a deeper work that Jesus wants to do beyond your forgiveness. He wants to cleanse you. He wants to go to the core where there's shame and guilt and remove it from you. How does he do that? By becoming your substitute. You know, in the Old Testament, there was a practice uh, in the temple. Once a year, the high priest would have before him two animals and once a year, the high priest would place his hand on a goat that was called the scapegoat. It's a, it was an Old Testament practice that pointed to Jesus. And uh, he would transfer the sins of the Jewish community onto the scapegoat. And the, the scapegoat would be led outside the walls of Jerusalem into the wilderness to die. On the cross, Jesus became our, my, your, if you trust Christ, scapegoat. In other words, that's why Matthew would say in verse 17, he took on our sickness, and then as a scapegoat, he removed our diseases. I don't have the time, I wish I did, to go into the word sickness and disease, but let me give you the GNT, the Gary New Testament translation of Matthew 8, 17. And if we have more time, call me, we'll go to Go to coffee, you pay, and I'll go deeper into this, okay? Here's what it is. Matthew 8, 17. He took on our rebellion. The word sickness means rebellion. And he carried away our shame or perversion. 
is the literal translation. He took on our rebellion and carried away our shame. The gospel of the kingdom is that we really can become brand new. It's not that we're just forgiven, church. We have been in God's eyes. Oh my gosh, thank God for forgiveness. But we've been made whole. We've been given grace. And Jesus on the cross didn't just forgive us. He took the shame and guilt from the sin that was either put on us or the sin that we engaged in, and he carried it away. This is very personal to me because back in November, uh, actually these messages have come out of my personal Bible study. And in November, I was sitting in Matthew 8, 17 and thinking about shame and inviting the Holy Spirit to speak into my life. And I'm not trying to fling faith. I'm, I'm no better than you. But this is just one of those moments where God wanted to do a fresh new work in my life. And so as I was thinking about shame, I realized I'm more motivated by shame than I am by grace. I hate that. And as I was thinking about that, I thought, Lord, what what does this mean? You've carried away my shame. And I sense the Holy Spirit inviting me into situations in my upbringing and in my past where sin was put on me or where I committed uh, egregious sin. And the Holy Spirit took me to probably the biggest shame experience of my life when I was 13 years old. And it was opening day in Novato, where I grew up in baseball. And I was in the league 13 to 15, and I was the youngest on the team. And unbeknownst to me, the team had conspired to make me the object of ridicule on opening day. And so there I was, you know, the, all the teams come out and run out on the field. And, and, uh, and, and I'm reliving this in November with Jesus. And, and uh, they're all out there. And seemingly it wasn't the case. But all of Novato was at Novato High School during this opening day ceremony. And I remember hearing a 15-year-old on my team that I really feared and respected, probably the best player on the team, say, Gadini, Gadini, they called your name. And I, I looked, and, and there was a bunch of people lined up on the first baseline, and we were behind the shortstop. And I said, what? He said, they called your name. Go. And like an idiot, I went and ran out to the first baseline. So grateful for whatever it was that validated me to be called out from this sea of a couple hundred baseball players. I got out there, and there was another other player standing there, and I was just looking around, and I remember turning to the guy next to me saying, um, what are we doing here? And he turned to me and he said, I don't know what you're doing here, but we're the championship Pop Warner football team. I turned around and my whole team was laughing at me. And I ran back. Now that's what happened in real time. But in November, I was reliving that horrifying experience that marked me more than I realized with Jesus. And just as that 15-year-old called my name and I was getting ready to run, I felt a tug on my uniform. And I looked and it was Jesus there with me reliving the experience. And Jesus said, I'm running to first base for you. I said, what? He said, no, no, I've healed your diseases. I'm taking away your shame. And in real time, I relived that experience watching Jesus run to the first baseline relive the whole thing and being the ridicule of the whole field. I felt so loved in that moment. 
I went through other experiences and experienced I actually was engaged in a destructive behavior. And I don't have time to go through them. You don't need to know my laundry list. But what I want to tell you is I came out of that a new person. Shame that was tethering me that I didn't realize was tethering me. It was broken. What I want you to know is that Jesus didn't just come to forgive you. He did. We are new in Christ because we're forgiven. But he came to take every aspect of your shame, whether from sin put on you or guilt you still carry from activities you've engaged in, he's removed them from you. That's the process that Summer's engaging in. And sometimes like Summer, you need professional therapists, Christ-centered therapists helping you get through that. Sometimes, uh, like in my experience, you need therapy and an experience of the Holy Spirit. I don't know how God does it, but he wants to remove your shame. You know, this week I was reminded about a Japanese art form called kintsugi. Have you heard of this? Like kintsugi means golden joinery in Japanese. And kintsugi is when you take broken pottery and a broken pot and you put it back together with lacquer and then gold or bronze or platinum in the cracks where the brokenness took place. Because of kintsugi, there's value in the brokenness, not in the wholeness. And because of Kintsugi, the art form, the broken piece put back together is actually more valuable than it was when it was whole in the first place. Google it, Kintsugi. It's an amazing art form that's gaining popularity, although it's been around for 500 years. I want to leave you with this. God is the master of Kintsugi. He knows your brokenness. He knows your shame. He knows the secrets that you hide from others and the destructive places you run to to try to get healing and wholeness. He knows it all. And he's the only one that will reform and restore you, brokenness and all, not to hide your cracks, but actually to make you more valuable in him than you ever were before him. Why wouldn't you give yourself to a savior like that? Why wouldn't we throw ourselves at the feet of Jesus and say, please make me whole your way? Sin has wreaked havoc on every aspect of humanity. That's what Matthew 8 and 9 is all about. And Jesus came to restore that and to make you brand new. New in a type of kind, I'm sorry, new in a kind way that is disruptive to humanity. PCC, let's be and live into that new type of community. Let's be that place that removes shame from each other where we can just speak to each other, confess our sins to one another so we can experience healing. And let's be turned outward so we can look to our community, our larger community that's in desperate need of restoration. And let's offer the hope that Jesus offers. What do you do with this? Two applications. Here's the first. If you've never given your life to Christ, right now choose Jesus. There's no one else who will love you as much as you're loved, who will speak truth to you about your brokenness, because everyone else, it could be deceptive, and who will restore you with his power. Jesus hung on a cross so you can be forgiven, 
and so you can be restored and to remove your shame. And then if you do know Christ, I want to encourage all of us to call PCC home. Let's break through barriers. Let's build bridges. That's what Jesus did. And that's what he calls us to do. It's part of being the brand new community. It's part of what we learned from COVID. We've got to bridge, uh, build bridges and break through barriers. This week, I want to pray, please, God, look at your neighborhood. Look at your family. Look at your community. Look at your place of employment and ask Jesus, where do you want to build a bridge? And again, I want to encourage you to join us starting next week for this great tool where we'll all be equipped on building bridges. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you that you are a bridge builder. We thank you that you are the one that built the bridge between heaven and earth and came to our rescue. If there's anyone listening to this or watching this that doesn't know you, Lord, right now I pray they would just repeat after me, yes, Lord. Yes, you came to die for me. Yes, I've lived the life of a rebel. Yes, you forgave me and want to give me a new operating system. And yes, I'm turning over my life to you. Lord, for those of us who know you, would you open our eyes to where bridges need to be built? Show us, Lord. Show us how to use the authority you've given us to join you in advancing your kingdom. We pray this in Christ's name. And everybody said, amen. Well, it's been great to be together. I sure wish we were on the lawn, but we know that gathering this way isn't going to stop the work of God. And so I want to remind you, go to the website for everything you heard about the taking the next steps in your relationship with Christ. Next week, Lord willing, we'll be back on the lawn starting this new series, Be the Bridge. I cannot wait to be with you again next week and build a case from the Bible on racial unity. And until then, may Jesus be all to you that you need him to be. Turn to him, church. Choose Jesus. Let's say our benediction together. May you jump into the arms of Jesus and may he push you out into the world. And may you be healed as you participate in the healing of others. Not because you must, but because you may. This is why we were born. Woo! See you next week, PCC. Thank you for tuning in to our message podcast here at Peninsula Covenant Church. We would love the opportunity to connect with you more. We are located in Redwood City, California, and you can find us online at wearepcc.com. You can also find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter by simply searching for We Are PCC.